Blog Talk Radio. Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the absolutely free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brincy.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water. A dimension of poop-filled water. A dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water. The Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. 
They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. He'll be joining us shortly, and we'll be answering a lot of questions that have been posted on our Facebook page and from our Facebook fans and uh, Twitter followers. We'll check Twitter as well to see if there's any questions over there that have been posted for Peter Brown today. So uh, glad you could join us this Monday. So far, it's been a great Monday here on the homestead. We are here uh, for about five weeks. It's uh, you know, We travel so much, but it is good to be home. Uh, we've worked real hard trying to turn over the, the RV and get it ready for our next adventure and uh, getting things done around the house and uh, things like that. But we've had a great time. Uh, Caleb woke up quite early this morning, so uh, I thought, you know what, let's just make the most of such a beautiful day. And it was beautiful today. Um, and I said, let's let the girls sleep late. So Mom and Lily got to sleep in a little bit. Uh, me and Caleb got up, got dressed, and uh, we hit the road. We headed over to the Huddle House first. Well, take that back. The first stop was the dry cleaners. I had some shirts and some overalls I use uh, for my events, so uh, embroidery and all that kind of stuff. So, well, we got there, and I dropped those off and talked to a buddy for a few minutes. And then from there, we went over to the Huddle House, and uh, uh, we shared a, a breakfast, Caleb and I, and uh, had a good old waffle with some syrup, eggs, and, and um, of course, far from backyard eggs, of course, but and some hash browns and, uh, and a biscuit. So we, uh, we shared uh, one of their uh, breakfast meals, if you will. Had a great time, and uh, in route there, we saw a couple of construction vehicles working, a backhoe and a motor grader. He loves tractors, trucks, and trains. And uh, so we did that and had a great time together for breakfast as we were walking out. Some firemen were walking in and asked him if he wanted to see the fire truck. So, of course, we walked over and let him see the fire truck, and he got up and uh, sat in the driver's seat and pretended like he was driving the fire truck with the lights on, and so he had a really good time uh, with that today. That was fun. Then we left, and I said, you know what, I think I'll swing by. 
uh, take the long route home, the scenic route, and uh, we stopped in uh, Garden Valley. And um, he's seen cotton up close before, but it was a good time. And so we stopped there and uh, looked at some cotton fields and uh, walked in some cotton fields where he could touch it, feel it, and see it. And cotton's higher than he is, of course, but he had a good time. And a little bit further down, they were harvesting some peanuts. So we stopped and looked at the uh, all the peanuts that had been gathered up. They were all in the big wagons getting ready to pull out on the main highway. And uh, he got to see the big, huge wagons of peanuts. They were harvesting those. And then we stopped by here in Ideal and just kind of hung out a little bit and saw a couple of trains come through. And and, uh, that just made his his day. But we were invited back to see them harvest cotton. Uh, It was still a little uh, moist this morning because of the dew. And uh, they said they'll probably start harvesting at about 1 p.m. That was about an hour ago. So he's gone down for a nap, and we're doing the show. And when he wakes up, I'll take him back over there to the cotton fields and see them uh, with the combines and the cotton pickers and the balers, and, and uh, we'll get a good education on uh, on cotton. He already can identify a lot of crops in the field, like corn and cotton and peach trees and pecan trees, things like that. But uh, it'll be uh, good. You know, his cotton goes for clothes and shirts and and you eat peaches and pecans and corn and things like that. So it's uh, he's, he's getting quite the education as we travel around the country. But so far it was a uh, a good morning. We had a good time on a father-son day out so far. So got to love it. Uh, but today we welcome you back and uh, getting back started with the uh, podcast. This week we start with, of course, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. And today we're going to kind of do an, an an open mic, and if you have any calls, uh, any questions, you can call in. Uh, live callers get sent to the front of the line, and that's 347-637-3237. Again, that's 347-637-3237. I'll post it again over on my Facebook page. And, and um We've got a, a, a quite a bit of questions that we're, that we're going to ask Peter, and and uh, you know I spent some time looking over the, some of the forums and things, and, and seeing what are really some hot topics right now. So I've got a few questions as well, but that, that we can refer back to the show and say, hey, if you want to know a little bit about this, that, or the other, we did uh, we did cover it. So some uh, some current topics that I've seen lately on the uh, blogs and forums, and I'm going to get back over here real quick. Uh, to the Facebook page and see if it'll let me. It's being Big Brother saying, oh, this looks identical to the post you just made, so <laughs> try making a different post. Um, well, that's the post I want to uh, want to post, so there we go. Let's update this. And then, uh, again, callers will go to the head of the line. We may even take some uh, questions over from our Facebook page and from Twitter as well. There we go. Make sure I have the phone number down right, 347-637-3237. And I know uh, Christmas Chick was in the chat room. She was having an issue with her sound. And uh, hmm, interesting, East Dallas Dave is joining us. Thank you very much, long-time listener. Uh, thank you. And we have uh, a guest in the chat room as well. So uh, good, East Dallas Dave does has sound, so that's good. So Christmas Chick, it sounds like it may be an issue on your end. I went back and listened to the previous episodes when you were having issues, and those uh, did broadcast live fine. And now we have confirmation from East Dallas Dave that we do have uh, sound. So that is a good thing. So we're going to run till about 3 o'clock, and then at 3 o'clock we'll say uh, goodbye, and then uh, we'll be back. Let me see what Wednesday it is. I think we've got 
Wednesday, the fourth Wednesday. Uh, I think we may have Alexandra Douglas, the quail lady, coming on this Wednesday. This Thursday is the fourth uh, Thursday. This Thursday is the fourth Thursday. Uh, which means we've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. He will be here this Thursday talking. He is our kind of our homestead sustainable living guru, and uh, he's he's actually writing a magazine for the winter issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, um, all about uh, solar. Uh, solar power and your coop setting up a solar power unit, uh, whether you want to add uh, a sweeter heater in the winter or maybe a light in the winter or a fan in the summer if you're too far to, and don't want to go to the expense of, of running some power out there. His whole uh, article is going to be about uh, you know adding a solar option to your coop, and uh, that's an option for you. So we're definitely looking forward to uh, looking forward to that article in the winter issue of Chicken Whisper magazine. Alrighty, let's get over here to the phone lines and we will welcome. Let's give them a big welcome here, uh, why don't we? And we've got Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, founder of First State com, and I probably said that about a hundred times last week during my Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday uh, presentations. We talked about that and uh, um, uh, different things and resources to, to help you if, if you need them and whatnot, and uh, first aid uh, medical uh, medicine kits and, and things like that. So I even I wrote your name and number down an email on a couple of business cards to uh, for, for that I thought a couple of folks that would. Uh, benefit from their specific situation, but let's welcome Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Andy, how's things going? <clears throat> things are going pretty well. We're kind of getting settled here. We'll be here for about five weeks, I guess, before we hit the road again, and so uh, obviously always there's things to do and uh, things to get caught up on and laundry and turn the RV over <laughs> for the next adventure and things like that, along with everything else that uh, that's going on, so... Um, but things are going very well. I had a good morning with uh, with the boy, and uh, it was a kind of Father Sunday out. We let the girls sleep in a little bit, and we went had our own little adventure, which was good. But uh, back uh, in time, of course, for the broadcast, and like I said, we'll run until about 3 p.m. today. So um, I'm going to post it here on Facebook again, and then. Uh, um, but we'll, uh, so if you're calling in, we've got some callers right now. It looks like maybe a couple. I know one may just be tuning in. Uh, but if you are calling in, to uh, ask a question for Peter, if you will actually press 1 to speak with the host when instructed to do so, that will let us know you have a question and want to go, go on air and ask your question uh, for Peter. And, of course, callers always go to the first of the line. Uh, but in between the callers and maybe some questions that get posted on Facebook, uh, I've got a list here uh, on my desk after searching around and looking around at some hot topics that were uh, going on right now. Uh, in uh, in Chickenville, so uh, we'll we'll supplement some of those with uh, uh, some of the callers with some questions today. So let me get back over here and make sure everything. Uh, check Facebook, make sure we've got those all posted in a timely manner. Because sometimes people uh, are afraid to call and they don't like their radio show voice and they're a little shy on online. So I just want to make sure that we got everything posted that needs to post and. Uh, We'll head on over here to the uh, phone lines. Looks like we have a caller calling in that may want to talk to you, Peter, from area code um, 512. Area code 512, you're live on the air. If you'll state your name and tell us what state you're calling from. Hi, this is Jenna, and I'm calling from uh, Texas, 
and um, I have a question for the chicken doctor. Okay. All righty, Peter. Go, go right ahead. Um, I have uh, uh, a flock of, well, I have, I have multiple flocks. I have a flock of just uh, uh, six chickens, and one of them was uh, uh, brooding when they all got uh, uh, the avian pox or fowl pox. And they have the dry skin-only um, kind of fowl pox. Okay. Um, I also have a uh, a group of four sort of teenage chickens um, that aren't quite a, quite big enough to go in with the others, but they're uh, they are uh, sharing a yard during the days. Okay. And um, now the the uh, chicken that was brooding has hatched two of the four eggs despite the pox. Um, and I'm wondering if I need to isolate the baby chicks. Or if, uh, and also if I need to uh, uh, delay or separate the uh, chickens that are not yet affected. Interesting question. Um, these things are always what I term a crapshoot. Um, okay. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, that kind of an approach. Uh, generally speaking, pox uh, is an opportunistic virus, uh, more than one that's going to be uh, spreading crazily on your on your premise. Uh, I think you've already seen that with, uh, you know, just uh, some of them having it and uh, these other birds uh, that share the space during the daytime uh, not getting it. And one of the reasons for that is uh, it spreads through a break in the skin. Uh, it can also, uh, you know, if a by chance, if a bird uh, picks at another bird's face where there is a pox lesion, it can pick it up that way. Uh, but it generally takes a break in the skin. My my so feeling it's, it's is it's not mosquitoes. Well, yes, but uh, oh, okay. We're talking about spread from bird to bird. It generally, uh, um, for the most part, doesn't really work so easily that way. It can, okay. but it's it, it, it's uh, uh, mosquitoes are your are your uh, are your enemy in this. There's no question about that. So what I think I would do, um, from my perspective, I would vaccinate those birds that have never been vaccinated or never had the pox. Now, about the vaccination, I, I talked to four different feed stores in my area, and um, uh, they said that it was only available uh, in a mix for a 1,000 birds at a time. That's the way it is, yep. Um, well, I mean, I have like 11 or 12 birds. Do I need, yeah, so, I mean, so, well, I mean, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, it's the idea of taking a chance, and if you're a gambler, you take the chance, and it, it may or may not happen. If you're not a gambler, then you spend the money to get the vaccine and vaccinate the birds and be done with it. Um, it would require, in my opinion, uh, because of the way pox has evolved over the years, uh, it would be my suggestion that you vaccinate everybody then once a year. Um, and pardon the pun, but no harm, no foul doing so, because um, if there are still enough antibodies in the bird system, you just won't get a take with the vaccine. And uh, it may be considered a waste of time and effort, but that way you would know that everybody is protected um, because the, the uh, vaccination with these things is not lifelong, okay? Uh, oh, I thought once you had it, you couldn't get it. Is that right or uh, no? Not necessarily true. It, it, the, even in humans now, we're finding out those who had a mild case of uh, chicken pox as children uh, uh, are now getting uh chicken pox later in life, and some are even uh, more prone than to shingles later in life than they were uh, early on. So uh, it's it's not 100%. Uh, 
and uh, it is well worth the effort from my perspective to uh, you know to protect your flock. Um, I'm a, I'm a big believer, uh, you know, in vaccination. Vaccines work, used properly, uh, and uh, uh, this is one of those cases where where I would do it. And I would vaccinate the uh, young birds with the young bird pox first, and wait about three or four months and come back and do the old bird pox to give them longer protection. You won't get the long protection from the young bird pox because it's extremely mild, uh, because it's a tissue culture and it can be given at one day of age. The older bird poxes are all made from chick embryos, which are uh, a little bit hotter and it give you more protection in the long run. But seeing as okay. how you've had a, here, here's the deal, you've had a case of pox on, on your premise. Yes. You can't look at a bird unless they're actually showing you uh, symptoms of the disease, which would be the lesions on the face or elsewhere right. on the body. You can't tell. So if you gave them the old bird pox trying to save some time, effort, and money, uh, and they were developing it, it would bring it out worse than it would have been if it came out on its own. Okay. Hey, the the young bird pox may do that as well, but nowhere near as severe because it is not a uh, a harsh virus in its own right. But in, you know, if they were mine, I would vaccinate and be done with it, and uh, vaccinate once a year after that as a uh, a, a overlay of, of extra protection. Um, okay. You know, and go on with it from that way. And you don't know either that each each bird that's going to be vaccinated. Uh, is going to develop immunity clean, cleanly across the board. Okay, that's another thing. A bird depends on the, the status of a bird's immune system, how healthy they are. Uh, when you vaccinate them, uh, there's a whole slew of things that go into the, the, uh, the you know, the, the picture. But by and large, it should be fine. Uh, but that's the way I would approach it. That's the way I would do it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Okay. Bye bye. going to try to ask her a question before she uh, left. Let me see. Yep, she has hung up. I was going to see what kind of uh, prices that she was being quoted for the 1,000-dose vial of uh, vaccination. That was my first question for her, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit that, uh, a little bit that you, you may even carry that uh, there at First State, uh, Peter, about what kind of cost cost are we looking at for that. And then number two, yeah, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. And then number, number two was um, what would the ramifications be if she did not vaccinate, are we talking about death of one bird, many birds, maybe no death at all, they get over it, and then now they're all uh, are, are carriers? What were the ramifications that say if she didn't choose to purchase it? Yeah, um, that, that's, a, that's a good question. First off, let's address the price of it. Uh, here we sell it for about $15 a bottle. Uh, you know, the, the cost of getting it to, to a person uh, is uh, is is more the, the container that we use to ship it in um, runs about fifteen fifty. Then you got the cost of the um, uh, you know of the shipping on top of that. Um, we 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 do things differently here. We don't put a little ice pack in and hope the hell it gets where it's going and, and is okay when it gets there. Uh, I shipped a package today uh, that had uh, two bottles of the pox vaccine, and it's just funny that we're talking about it, but it is the truth. Going to California. And uh, had a couple of other small items going in the box, but it was a big box because of the size of the cooler, uh, the weight of the of the package, 14 pounds total. Okay, most of that uh, being the uh, uh, the the cooler and the ice packs that we put in it. And maybe it sounds like overkill, but there's no point in getting it, and it's and it's uh, not been kept properly, and uh, then wasting mm-hmm. all your time and effort doing it. 
And you know, we we always fight that. Competitors uh, take a different approach. Uh, use a little tiny cooler, uh, put one little ice pack in it, and hope for the best. Uh, we don't uh, operate that way. I would never do it to my own birds. I'm not going to do it to anybody else's birds. And uh, mm-hmm. so the cost of shipping on the things like 50 bucks. That's that's you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of money. Yes, but it's also a lot of money. So that's, that's getting. So, so that that includes. Me getting that. What would it what would it cost for me to actually get this? And uh, even if, like you said, you're in Maryland, here in California, about right. fifty bucks. Get get this to me. Fifteen plus fifteen plus the shipping. And yeah, plus the container. You know, so you got fifty. If, if, if let's say you got a bottle of each, you're talking about thirty bucks. Talk about the shipping container. You're talking about forty five, and then you know uh, anywhere from you know from twenty dollars up as far as the shipping. Uh, Sometimes if you're closer, we can pick, you know, like uh, FedEx Ground and do it a lot cheaper. Uh, this one uh, actually just be, just because of the size of the box and what it weighed, 14 by 14 by 14, uh, weighing 14 pounds, um, still had to go by dimensional weight. So, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's it's just, um, you know, generally if you're using just, just the box, uh, you know, this particular cooler happens to be a little bit bigger. We're, we're, uh, we downsize here in about another two or three weeks to a little, little bit smaller cooler to try to save on because we don't necessarily need it as uh, so badly uh, as the weather turns cold. But we've got places all around. Everybody's you know, got hot weather. We had we had very warm weather here uh, uh, on, on Saturday, and then all of a sudden turns around and the temperatures dropped you know, in, the, in, the, you know, in the low 40s overnight. So um, I can't take the chance of this sitting somewhere uh, in a trailer, um, you know, in a... Uh, FedEx or UPS or post office parking lot somewhere waiting to be shipped, and the, the temperature inside uh, can be crazy high. So, um, you know, that's why we do the things that, that the way we do it. And um, I know other people, um, uh, you know, take a different approach to it, but um, I'm comfortable with what I do as far as that's concerned, confident in it. Sure, absolutely. Now, as far as, uh, let's say, she decides not to do it and, uh, um, it is like I said. It's a crapshoot. You take the chance of uh, uh, birds possibly getting this. See, we see most of the time we see this with birds that have it. We see a little peck fight on a yard. Somebody gets mad at somebody, and they just peck a bird and just a little scratch, and and the virus ends up getting in there. And then first thing you know, that one's got it. And it's a nickel dime vaccine. If you go back and look at uh, older shows that we've done, I said that use that same terminology because it it doesn't necessarily move through a flock very quickly but it will stay in a flock for quite a period of time because of that nickel-dime approach. So some of the things that you can do to cut down on the nickel-diming deal is to try to eliminate as many uh, uh, avenues of of having mosquitoes, which is the vector for this. So uh, no standing water that's allowed to get brackish. Uh, The uh, flower pots that you've got that hold water in the bottom that uh, hold it for days and days and days where it turns... uh, uh, you know, uh, slimy and stuff. Great place for them to uh, to, to set up shop and and uh, and be a, a a pain for you. The same thing for your gutters. Uh, an old bird bath that never gets used but gets filled up with uh, rainwater all the time and sits there. And and uh, they they don't necessarily go to fresh water all the time. They go for the brackish water. Uh, that's why if you had a pond, uh, you could spray. Uh, uh, some mosquito barrier, which I highly recommend to people in areas that are that are uh, prone to mosquitoes, uh, uh, and uh, spray that all around the uh, two or three feet out from the edge of the pond. Uh, won't bother the, the fish and, and and wildlife in the pond, 
uh, but will sure uh, kill off the mosquitoes and smother out their eggs and stuff, and it's all natural and uh, easy to get. You can go online and get it. Um, terrific product. I don't sell it, but I've used it and, and do use it here. Uh, we live in one of the mosquito capitals of the world, uh, and in summertime here, especially if it, we didn't have as bad a time this year because we didn't have as much rain during the summer months, but uh, we do usually have a uh, uh, quite a population of them here. So controlling those things. The other side of it is pox, after, after the pox is uh, run its course, and uh, the devastation that it leaves behind, the, the ugly pock marks on the face, the comb, the wattles, the eyelids, uh, those kinds of things uh, are detrimental, especially if you're showing. Um, you know, you could take a perfectly beautiful bird that may be a champion and, and make them no-show because you can't use them. So there's a lot of reasons, you know, to do it. Um, and like I say, I, I've been a proponent of vaccinating for many, 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 many years. Just if done right, works good. Done wrong, doesn't work. Okay. And then... Um the the delivery, if, if I'm not mistaken, the, the uh, vaccine is delivered through the kind of the webbing of the the wing. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's called a wing web stab. It comes with a two a little plastic uh, handle uh, with two very sharp. So if you've got it, be careful with it because you'll uh, if you stab yourself with it, you will know you've done so. Um, not so much <laughs> that the vaccine is going to bother you, but the stabbing alone <laughs> is enough to get your attention. Uh, it seemed, for whatever reason, those little tiny ones seem to hurt uh, a lot more than a big one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at, at any rate, uh, if you look at the uh, the two metal prongs coming out of the uh, plastic handle, you'll see that on one side of each prong uh, there is an indentation. And when you dip that in the vaccine, um, the vaccine will pick up in those little indentations. And then from the underside of the uh, the wing web, this is the uh, second joint out from the, so you got the joint at the body, it's the next joint out, it's on the trailing edge of the wing from the underside, some of the fluffy feathers, pull them out about the size and diameter of a nickel, mm -hmm. uh, make sure your aim is good, put your glasses on, uh, dip the vaccine stabber into the vial of vaccine, drag the two prongs across the lip of the uh, bottle to take off any excess vaccine, and then very quickly, very succinctly, one one movement, push that prongs right up through that um, wing web until it, the plastic touches the skin and pull it back out. Do not try to be gentle with it. You will hurt the bird more so than anything. If you just stab it quick, 90% of the birds never know you did it. They just they just don't. If you try to take that right. stabber as sharp as it is and try to push it because that's a very tough piece of skin there, if you try to push it up through that very gently, uh, they'll be flapping and squawking and everything else, and you might even make it you know, bleed excessively, so don't do that. And you don't want to be in any bone or any thick uh, muscle tissue. It's just a, a flap of skin there uh, that has a bunch of downy feathers on it. Okay? Real simple. Just a, yep, just a quick jab or a, um, yep, yep. Absolutely. Yep. a little stabbing. And, there, you know, of course, once you read the vaccine directions prior to doing all this, it will explain most of what I've said to you. And the other mm -hmm. thing is that about 10 days later you'll come out and you will pick up each and every bird and you will uh, – uh, look at the place where you vaccinated them, and you'll see there'll be a scab start to grow across the two uh, the two little holes that the, pr the prongs from the stabber would make, and that will um, that will make it so that the uh, uh, that will indicate what we call a take. Okay, so the vaccine is is, is taken, is doing its job. Uh, vaccinated feathers do nothing. Okay, so that's why we pull feathers out. Um, they'll grow back in, and they're not detrimental to the bird in any way, shape, or form. So. 
Um, real simple to do, not overly expensive at the end of the day, um, but uh, I think in her case a, a necessary evil for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, she also mentioned earlier, uh, she had done some research and came across the term, I guess, uh, wet pox. If you could take a moment, if some, that sparks somebody's interest, is uh, yep. this uh, uh, related? Pox, uh, will it turn into completely, totally different situations, different uh, outcomes, different treatments? If you can touch on that for a minute, since it was mentioned it's, by the caller. Okay, it's a little bit different virus, but the same outcome, the same uh, approach uh, you would take uh, with this. Uh, one other little tidbit of information I think is important. You can take some iodine, iodine, pure iodine that you can buy in a store. Uh, has been shown over the years to be virucidal when it comes in direct contact with a virus. <clears throat> the way the pox works, the virus gets into the body and comes out and through those scabs. So those scabs are highly loaded with, with the virus. So if you were to take some iodine and put uh, it on a Q-tip and just dab the iodine on and let that scab absorb that uh, once a day for a few days and uh, don't pick the scab off, um, let the scab fall off by itself. The scab is loaded with virus uh, and can uh, stay uh, on that uh, viable in that uh, for well over a year, so uh, you know under the right conditions. So, uh, but wet pox just means that it's getting into the nostrils, uh, under the eyelids, uh, uh, the con- conjunctiva of the eye, uh, the roof of the mouth, the tongue, uh, all of the soft tissue uh, in the mouth uh, can be on the outside of the bird. You have both forms at the same time, so one that stays on the comb and the waddles, and the other one gets elsewhere. The difficulty with the wet pox is that then it becomes an eating and drinking issue, okay? Um, this would be the equivalent of you having uh, several nasty cold sores on your tongue and, and your lip on the inside of the soft tissue, and then you're trying to, you know, uh, eat your own food and, and, and drink something. And Anybody that's had any kind of cold sore in their mouth or whatever knows that uh, they can be annoying. And uh, this would be the, the same thing. So birds start to back away from food and water, uh, and that starts a whole other avenue of, of problems. So you need to keep an eye on it. Uh, those birds may end up having to be either uh, uh, tube-fed or they get so bad I've seen it that the birds had to be disposed of. So something to watch out for. Your, your first plan of attack, <clears throat> in my opinion, prior to getting a disease like this, is prevention. It is preventable mm-hmm. you know, by keeping the grass cut down, um, you know, as low as you can, uh, avoiding, you know, all of the avenues that would attract mosquitoes to your premise in the first place. So. Okay, excellent. Um, uh, while we wait for uh, some other callers, I've got some things post- posted on Facebook here and the chat room. There's uh, several people are in that. Um, I know that there was a post uh, on one of the uh, Facebook chicken pages uh, about someone had mentioned they had a a roach infestation, and um, that you know how can I deal with this in my coop? And then someone else said uh, just a, a casual comment, oh my chickens devour uh, roaches. They they you know if they ever see one or if I lift up a bucket or this or that, one run one starts running across the floor of the coop or around the outside of the coop, they come running over and, and gobble those, that up. And uh, I had I posted in there and mentioned something about roaches being a, a, a big cause of um, eye worm. So I thought that maybe we could, I know we touched on it a while back, but again, kind of covering a lot of topics in this one so we can share this uh, show to, to the archive folks and say, wow, here, you can listen, we talked about this, 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 and I'm writing this down. Um, uh, and, and then they were like, 
oh my goodness, I had no idea. Now we understand you, you know, a lot. You, <laughs> it's like when people run out and they say, oh my gosh, my chicken just swallowed a mouse. Uh, what am I going to do? We know they're omnivores. Um, you know, it may not be the best thing on the planet for them. There may be that, that again, the salmonella risk when, the, you know, also the mouse poo and things like that. There's some things we're just, they're going to do. Same thing. You can't stop them from eating every single roach they see, but that may be a cause of eye worms. So if you'll touch on that just a little bit, we'll mark that on sure. the list for today's show. Sure. It's called Manson's eye worm. Um, generally, it's a specific, to my knowledge, it's a specific type of, of cockroach, um, although there may be there may be others. Uh, not a whole lot uh, has been uh, uh, written about it for many, many years because it just all of your research generally comes out of the commercial poultry sector, mm-hmm. and this not being a big deal uh, in the in the commercial poultry sector, so you don't see any uh, you know research dollars are precious in most places, and mm-hmm. so you don't see it you know uh, being uh, uh, used for this this type of thing. But that being said. I'm not a big fan of of uh, allowing them deliberately to eat uh, anything other than their normal food. I understand birds out uh, free ranging; it's a whole mm-hmm. different ball game, and I know why people do it and everything else, and I'm okay with that. But going out of your way to supply or or, or whatever is not a good idea, uh, from my perspective. Um, this uh, Manson's eye worm; uh, it, it can be a, a real uh, a real problem. Uh, they they get into the bird's system, and uh, they uh, end up uh, in the eye, causing uh, blindness uh, and, and so on. Just not a good idea uh, to to uh, you know it's a different thing if you're raising mealworms in your in your basement and you have a a, a a clean source of them. You know, fine, I'm okay with that. Just don't overdo it. As far as you know, you know I did a show this weekend up in New Jersey. And several conversations came up about this with folks that came by the table and talked and and what have you about uh, feeding uh, things other than. And it, it's amazing how people do not understand what is meant by a complete feed. They 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 have not done right. any research. And I'm not trying to be you know mean this derogatorily. It's just amazing to me. But understand what a complete feed, the terminology of that means. You know what it really means is that. That bag of feed contains everything that bird will ever need to thrive and thrive well. When you start adding things outside the realm of that complete feed, that's where all the problems start. Almost every case of somebody calling in here or sending me an email, whether it be here in the office or on Facebook, that deals with some sort of nutritional issue, you'll find out that they are feeding some cockamamie group of stuff um, and I have no rhyme or reason why some of them do it, but they, they read something somewhere. Um, they just don't need all of the stuff that, that people want to give them. You know, you want to give them some greens every now and then? Fine. You know, you want to give some mealworms every now and then? Fine. You want to throw a half, handful of scratch out uh, once a day? Fine. But don't be out there, you know, all day long throwing stuff at them and taking them away from the total nutrition that they get from uh, from the complete feed. So the same thing, you know, with... With uh, we know that um, there's, there's such a thing uh, uh, out there called a darkling beetle. Okay, they're those hard-backed um, beetles you see running around all the time, uh, different places. Uh, we know that they carry uh, multiple, uh, you know, poultry diseases. Uh, we also know that they you know, destroy insulation and these kinds of things. Um, so you, you, you know, other than the fact that your bird accidentally finds a group of them uh, and, and starts to devour them. 
uh, it's something you can't control, but I wouldn't go out of my way to do it. I wouldn't do it with cockroaches. I wouldn't do it with anything. And I'll go back and say this to you, and I've said it before on the, on the show. My geriatric flock here, birds between six and nine years of age, we do, other than plenty of room, plenty of fresh air, plenty of fresh water, good finished, complete feed, nothing, not a thing. No vitamins in the water, no apple cider vinegar, nothing, not a thing. And they are fat, dumb, and happy. They <laughs> sun themselves out there every day under the gazebo and, 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 and the whole the whole bit. You know, they're out there eating. We do provide some uh, greens that we grow. As a matter of fact, this weekend we're going to uh, plant some kale in, in the uh, grazing frames that we use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that will be the last greens they'll have fresh uh, for the season. We're not into fermenting it in the house and doing a lot of kind of stuff. I don't have the time. And Tammy doesn't either. But we don't do anything for them, and they're happy. And they're happy because they got plenty of room, they got plenty of air, they got they can go out, they can go in, they can do whatever they want. You don't want to go out today, don't. You want to go out today, go go ahead. Uh, that's rain, shine, freezing, doesn't matter. We open the door, it's your choice. You can either stay in or you can get out. And uh, yeah, they run around outside. Uh, they all have their spots, and after they do their silly little dances in the morning and make a bunch of noise after about an hour. They settle down, and everybody's in their own spot, sunning themselves. That's what they do. And then they get up and eat and drink and go back and do the same thing all over again. We don't give them anything. I mean, certainly if I have a bird that I feel is, is uh, you know, having issues, we take care of that. But uh, there's no need to do all this stuff. So getting back to the initial thing, Manson's eye worm, um, it is spread by, uh, by cockroaches. So that should give you a heads up. You know, how do you know which one is which? I don't know. And uh, so, you know, after letting them eat a bunch of these different things, anomalies start. And uh, I just wouldn't, uh, I just wouldn't do that. I just don't think it's a, a, a good idea, uh, you know, to start something like this that could be extremely de- detrimental. Not only from what it it brings to the table in the form of of disease, but also offsetting the the uh, the nutritional value of a complete feed. Absolutely. Yep. Very good. Awesome. We'll put that down on the list here as well. And um, while I was at the uh, expo, I had two, maybe even as many as three, come up and ask me. And one of them, I actually had sent your information with uh, business card and email and, and phone number, because she was willing to do whatever she could. And and uh, uh, some of the treatments that I know you've shared with before, and we've had you know entire shows on a, a lot of these topics so we're kind of covering the 10 minute answer here for uh, folks so we can hey, say hey these are some things we touched on in the show and then share that for our archive listeners but um three folks came up and uh, talked about uh sour crop and uh and, and had researched some things online to do and what not to do and and uh they were concerned about harming the bird doing this or that and you know some people saw well oh well yeah just go ahead and take a pocket knife and cut it open and uh, doing home surgeries to uh, uh, even uh, talking, doing things like um, using the syringe and the tubing and measuring the tubing from the beak down to the crop, and and we talk you know, about that on the show sometimes about you know the the trachea versus you know esophagus things uh, and uh, whatnot. So there were about three questions. So um, if you could kind of address that uh, a little bit, sour crop. Uh, maybe why they why someone might think their bird has a sour crop. So maybe some signs and symptoms, things to look for, and then sure. maybe some uh, some solutions or treatments for that. Okay. Well, there is a difference between <clears throat> sour crop and being crop bound. Okay. So they're they're two different issues from my perspective. Um, 
So I'll address the crop bound issue first. And I, and I just mm-hmm. went through this with somebody here recently, just in the last uh, few hours. Okay. So crop bound generally is a bird that's eating food and not passing it at all. Zero. Everything coming in the front, the crop being extremely pronounced in the in the chest, uh, in some cases very hard, okay, and the bird uh, <clears throat> is not signaling its system that it's that it's satiated and full, even though the crop is full, because the nerves that control that are not being allowed to have the food go through. So the bird continues to eat um, and expand that crop. Uh, and not get really getting any any nutrition. So that's 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 one issue. That that's a bird that's crop bound. Could be crop bound for a number of reasons. It could be a, a, a worm infestation of various kinds. It could be uh, capillary worms. Uh, it could be round worms. Uh, it could be tapeworms. Uh, it could be a whole lot of these things or any combination of those things. Uh, it could be an irritation to the proventriculus, which is the true stomach. So let's go through that. If you look at the bird, you have the mouth, then you have the esophagus, and then you have the crop. Then you have a small piece of intestine that goes from the crop to the proventriculus. The proventriculus is the bird's true glandular stomach. In most cases, it is about, if your pinky finger isn't too large in diameter and too, too long, it's about the same size. Okay? And then there's a small piece of intestine from the end of the proventriculus to the gizzard. So keep all of that in mind. Crop, small piece of intestine, proventriculus, true stomach, small piece of intestine, and the gizzard. When that food is not moving from the crop to that opening of the proventriculus, okay, the putting anything grit-wise into the crop is detrimental to the situation that you were trying to cure because the only place that that grit is going to work is when it gets all the way over to the gizzard. If it can't get past all the junk that's stuck in the crop now, it's not going to get to the gizzard at all. And I just went through this with somebody that says, well, I gave him some gravel, and that's what they called it. And they gave him some gravel, and it cured it. No, it didn't. This bird just happened to be lucky that it it moved on its own, and, uh, you know, you didn't do anything but, to some degree, complicate the situation. But that being said... So people need to keep that in mind. You know, uh, will oils help? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's not a generally a lubrication issue. It's an issue of usually, in most cases, it's it's uh, shavings, uh, coarse grasses that they've eaten, uh, anything that will not pass through that bottom opening of the crop and then that small piece of intestine that goes over to the uh, proventriculus. That's where that situation, uh, you know, uh, the problem lies with that, okay? The crop, is, no digestion really takes place there. It's just a big, giant um, balloon, so to speak, an expanding bag that holds food uh, for the birds as they forage so they don't have to stop and digest their food. They can, you know, eat and go. So if that's the case, you immediately stop feeding the bird. And put that bird in a situation where it has no access to any food whatsoever. Because there's no sense putting more in if it isn't coming out. It only compounds the situation. Okay? Yep. If you give that bird all the water at once, you can put vitamins electrolytes in that water or anything else you think is going to help in that water. 
But I would then take this bird and, and very vigorously, cause a lot of people say, well, I don't want to hurt him. You're not going to hurt him. You've got a couple of choices here. Okay? You can either die or you can be aggressive and do something that's going to be beneficial to the bird. So I would take that crop and very vigorously, okay, I would just squeeze it and mash it in between my fingers as hard as I could to try to break up what's in there. And I would make sure the bird drinks water and then keep doing it, keep doing it. The only thing you have to be careful about is if the bird is drinking water and you're mashing this crop, you could aspirate the bird by having that come back up. There is no mechanism, no valve, no flap, no nothing to keep anything in that crop. Mm-hmm. The misnomer that people say, oh, my bird threw up. Nope, can't happen. They do not have the musculature. They do not have a diaphragm, so therefore they can't throw up. But they can if you put pressure on a full crop of water. They can come right back up, and in the, under the conditions are right, uh, it will pool in the bird's mouth, and as the bird starts to breathe, it goes down the trachea, and it's a done deal, and it's just that quick. You'll not save yep. it. Your chances of saving it are next to none. So you need to be careful from that at that standpoint. But vigorous movement of of the contents in that crop usually will make the stuff move out. If that doesn't work, then I would take the bird and I would uh, have somebody help you flip it over upside down, hang it upside down, neck straight out, mouth open, and I would massage that crop to no end. And then if that doesn't, still doesn't work, I would come back and do it again and again, adding liquid to it if I could. And uh, uh, in that case, if you think oil is going to help you, I really don't care at the end of the day. But that's how you really do it. Cutting it open is an extreme last resort. Extreme last resort. Because I've seen too many pe- I've seen a few people be successful with it, and I've seen other people do it, and the crop leaks forever, and then they get an infection going, and... Um, all these different kinds of things, and it becomes a real problem. So um, that's how you take care of that. Sour crop is generally a yeast infection, generally, in the crop itself, usually, uh, but not always, from over-medication. Um, so you get an overgrowth of, of yeast growing in there, and, and that starts the, uh, the, the backup of, of feed and, and, and water and everything else. But it's more mushy, real mushy as a general rule. So some things you can do there to alleviate that, um, you can use uh, copper sulfate, quarter teaspoon in a, uh, a gallon of water. You want to use acidified copper sulfate. It's a little bit different than just plain copper sulfate. Okay, It's made to go in the water, and it will change the acidity of that crop and the intestine, and usually will take care of this. Uh, you can also use about four teaspoons or so of apple cider vinegar uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the drinking water. Or you can use nystatin. Any one of those three should take care of this particular uh, situation if the bird isn't crop-bound. Generally, birds that, are, that are, uh, uh, have the sour crop will be passing feed, but it's a very slow process. Okay, the stuff, you know, the crop is, let's say you went to the, the bird went to roost with a full crop, you get up in the morning and at least a quarter to half of it's still there. There are some droppings, but it's not like it would be if it was moving through. So the bird eats, and it goes back to the same syndrome. Uh, uh, overnight, you've got a quarter to half of it still in there overnight. And it just sits there and ferments and makes things worse. And eventually, the, the bird will end up dying because of the uh, overgrowth of the, of the yeast. But those, those are the differences between the two. Um, you talked about uh, tube feeding. We can go into that real quick if you like. Uh, tube feeding. Uh, to me, is the best way to do this. Uh, it, all you need is a piece of uh, aquarium air pump tubing that will fit on your syringe. Uh, you would take a little bit of, uh, first off, you would take that tubing 
and uh, find the clavicle, which is the wishbone. It's inverted in the front of the bird's chest right where the crop is. And uh, take your end of your tubing there, come up under the lower beak, mandible, get to the end of the uh, beak, mark it with a marker, leave yourself enough on the end of that to, uh, to maneuver around, maybe six inches or so, cut off the excess. Whatever you're going to feed the bird uh, should be a slurry that's uh, pureed so that it is syringable. Got no lumps and bumps and, and, and things of that nature uh, in it. And uh, I would fill the, uh, the syringe, and then I would fill the tubing. And just a light coating of any kind of uh, vegetable oil on the tubing. And then you would look for the what we call the anatomical landmarks. Okay, So you open the bird's mouth. And right behind the tongue, in the floor of the mouth, you're going to see the glottis. That's where the bird breathes. The big, giant, dark, black hole in the back, that's where they eat. So you're going to take that tubing, slip it over top of the tongue, and you're going to aim for the big, giant hole in the back. When you get close to the mark that you put on the tubing, you're slowly going to discharge that syringe into the crop. You're going to watch the crop expand in the bird's chest to about half or so of what you would normally uh, expect that crop to be. Bearing in mind, putting in too much, it, whether it's with a syringe or whether it's tube or however you're going to do it, it will come back up in the bird's mouth and aspirate the bird. So you do have to use a little bit of caution, but you can get a heck of a lot more in that way than you ever will with, with just feeding a syringe. And there's no guarantee feeding with a syringe you know, into an open mouth that that bird doesn't decide. They, you know, they don't do things on your command. They, they don't breathe when we tell them to breathe. If you're squirting stuff in their mouth and they decide to breathe, you can have a dead bird in a heartbeat. So tube feeding, is, to me, is much safer. You just have to be cognizant of the fact that there's nothing going to hold anything in that crop, and you don't mm -hmm. want to overfill it, whether it's with a syringe or with a, a, a tube feeding syringe, either way. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Something that's kind of related that uh, I posted on the uh, Facebook page today was, I believe this happened, I want to say it was over in the U.K., um, I'm trying to see where it, if it lists. If it wasn't in, in the States. Ah, Melbourne. Okay, so Australia. Um, and uh, the title of it was uh, uh, Caulfield Vet Performs Life-Saving Surgery on Nut and Bolt-Eating Chicken from <laughs> what, from Watrina South. And, uh, and, and it is. It's, um, it has a guy holding uh, his daughter's pet chicken they've named cotton candy following the surgery that was done and it says uh, the vet has performed life-saving surgery on a hen who gobbled screws and nails during some home renovations it says um, cotton candy uh, owners had to pay $1,000 for Dr. Philip Sachs and his team at the Burwood Bird and Animal Hospital to perform the highly unusual operation it is a home renovation renovation mishap uh, the family said that they had not anticipated. Uh, Moom Tony Curray said surgery was the only option because the 18-month-old chicken was her daughter uh, Annika's pet. Uh, she says people think that she is crazy, but Mr. Sachs said uh, uh, Curray's are an incredible family for saving their chicken. Said they rushed cotton candy to the vet on October 1st thinking the chicken uh, uh, who is normally a fussy eater, had a upset stomach. X-rays are now showing the items that cotton candy had ingested, and they're literally uh, two screws, and it looks like maybe a nut and a bolt and some other things, like rocks, who knows. Uh, and indeed she did. Um, 
it was pretty clear that there was an obstruction, the doctor said. Then he performed an hour of intricate surgery to remove five nails and screws from Cotton Candy's stomach. Um, she also had to treat her for heavy metal poisoning and said, amazingly, none of the nails or screws had perforated her insides. But he has said this type of surgery was not as rare as people might think. Birds are naturally attracted to shiny objects. So this is not uncommon, he said. But the family's two children, Annika 7 and uh, Talia 9, each have two pet hens uh, because they're allergic to dogs. (laughs) 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 So there you go. Uh, It says uh, Cotton Candy will not eat veggie scraps, but she eats screws, the the hen owner said. (laughs) She's fussy. She does like blueberries and sesame seeds and things like that, all the expensive food, which, of course, she likes. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see. It, it's interesting that that says that they urge people to consider chickens as pets. They're becoming pets of the future, he said. And they're really clever and can be easily trained. Uh, and it's, a very, uh, it's, uh, it's really rewarding when a case turns out like this, he said. Well, and now you know. Andy has has fully recovered and is back at home on her uh, finicky diet. So you're talking about crops and gizzards and things. I yeah. posted this this morning a couple of hours ago. And like we've said and you've said on this show before, you know, when you see someone say, oh, chickens will kind of know what they should eat and what they shouldn't or what's good for them and what's not. And this <laughs> proves it, and we've talked about this for years on the show. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, you know, um, um, people just uh, – just don't think, I guess, about about this thing. We had, you know, some conversations uh, this this past weekend, uh, like I said, about uh, you know feeding and and care and stuff. And some people were just kind of taken back by the fact that uh, you know, um, uh, you know, about how how friendly chickens really are and and uh, uh, how therapeutic they are. You know, and there was a couple of people did come by and and, and spoke to that uh, that extent. Uh, you know that they are they are therapeutic and you know. You've heard me say it before, you know, given the choice, give me a chicken, give me a human, you take the human, I'll take the chicken. And uh, there's, a, there's a reason for that, you know, and, and uh, um, you, know, they, they, you can be having a bad day and, and just get your five-gallon bucket, sit out in the yard and watch some craziness go on and, and uh, they make you laugh and whatever you were thinking about prior to is going to be put on a back burner for a while. And uh, I think I think a lot of people can use uh, use that. I've posted a couple of times recently. Now, they spend $1,000. I'm, I'm just going to be the first to say, out of all the chickens I've had over the years, the named ones, the ones that immediately pop in my head of being special for one reason or the other, um, I, I will be the first to admit today if my vet told me that I had to fork out $1,000 to save this. Oh, okay, my wife just stormed into my broadcast booth and said, but there's a difference. There's a difference. That was a child's head. (laughs) But I can tell you right now, uh, I would have to sit down with Caleb and Lily and explain to them (laughs) uh, the the ramifications of of keeping some some livestock here on the the homestead. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I don't know if I could fork out $1,000 to say one chicken in my backyard. I've never been in that situation. I can't tell you what I would do. I would be, uh, I don't know, probably a painstaking decision. For some of you out there listening, you would be like, I do it in a heartbeat. 
but but it is frustrating to me, and I, I don't think it's really related, but in a way it is, how folks will, and, and you being in the business of having a vet store and medications that cost $15, $20, $35, or even probiotics for 19 bucks, or, or, first, or a medica- medicine kit for $25, it, it, it's frustrating for me um, when I see folks that will happily and, and joyfully spend two or three thousand dollars on a coop, uh, chicken swings, chicken treats, chicken curtains for their nest box, um, all this time invested in things, warm oatmeal and blueberries. And it has, this is not directed to any one person, but this an error, or, or, and it may not affect you. So I don't, I don't need to receive your emails, but. Um, but how how many people will do that and then balk, no pun intended, at, at, at a $25 consultation, for example, with you, or even a $100 vet visit, or, or, or buying a $35 bottle of medication, or $10, but yet they've spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on the fun stuff. But when it comes down to the responsible um, decisions or the responsible responsibilities like this, they balk at it. I'm like, you just bought a $2,000 coupe. What's $35 for medication? I guess it's just not fun. It's more of a responsibility now than a fun purchase or a fun decision. And that's very frustrating for me sometimes. I mean, $1,000, that's a whole different ball game. But yet I know they did it. I know of a, a woman in Texas who was in the process of giving her chickens chemotherapy at, at Texas A&M for a, for a cancerous tumor. I mean, there are folks that truly love their animals at that at that level and, and, and will pay that. I'm sure for a lot of people there is a uh, a, a, a number where it stops, where it becomes, you know. But another thing is people will often see Peter Post and say, well, it's just a $3 chicken. Well, when you bought that chicken for $3, that's one thing. But if you factor in the cost of your poop, all the feed raising it for the last two years, um, the, the toys, the treats, the time of, of doing everything, uh, the, the the value of that chicken, though you spent 2 or $3 on it two years ago, um, with the money you have invested in your flock, and if you want to factor in your time at minimum wage or even more, uh, including the feed cost, then, then uh, sometimes it is frustrating to me that they'll look at 25 or $35 for a medication or a $25 consultation with you or a $100 vet visit that may end up literally saving their entire flock if it's a disease they may have that is spreadable spreading um and then the 20 or 25 dollars they're just i'm not i'm not going to do it i guess because it's not a fun purchase or a fun thing to do um and that, that that's just sometimes frustrating but i get a thousand dollars maybe a completely different <laughs> situation um and you see that every day yeah i run into it you know on both sides of the fence those that uh, it, it it's um to give an example this weekend i ran into somebody who had um, a bird that had obvious uh, symptoms of, of Merix um, and um, was, you know, looking for, you know, a remedy. And I explained it basically at the end of the day, you know, other than trying a few things, curcumin, uh, hypericum, aspirin, those kind of things, and vaccination, you know, probably, probably wasn't going to happen. But uh, I was kind of appalled to find that prior to this with another bird, they had taken it to an uh, avian specialist and uh, who uh, put the bird down for them for 200 bucks. And I thought that that was, uh, you know, excessive. Um, you know, our, our vet here, 
takes care of the dogs and cats uh, when we need a bird put down because I don't put my own birds down. I can do somebody else's, but I'm not doing my own. <laughs> Coward. <Right. laughs> <laughs> they only charge like 30 bucks, you know, and, and uh, you, know, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's the level of respect that they give to the to the bird and, and, and so on. You know, maybe some people wouldn't spend that. I mean, I can go out and, and uh, dispatch a bird in a heartbeat and, uh, you know, never think twice uh, when it's necessary to do so. But uh, it's just a little bit different. And uh, so, you know, there's a big stretch between 30 bucks and $200. And, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I said to, to the gal, I said, I hope that, you know, he can sleep well at night, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you hear, uh, I, I don't know if it's extreme or not, but, I mean, we often tell folks, and, and to, you know, I'm in just about every workshop, I'm like, you know, you need to, uh, before you get the chickens, there's a lot of things you need to think about, and, and not just the fun stuff like hoops and runs and choosing the breeds and things, but, but what if or when a bird gets sick, um, how, is there a vet in your town? Uh, and, and so many people are just quick to say, oh, there's not a vet in my town. Well, what right. about the next town over? Or the next town over is a two-hour drive, uh, unreasonable to save your flock. If you think about the time you have, money you have invested. Uh, you know, what about a local county extension agent or a poultry extension specialist in your area with the State Department of Ag? And then, of course, there's the USDA. And I was talking to a gentleman who runs uh, one of the labs here in Georgia just this past week. And he said, oftentimes now, um, it, it, there may be things we can do, again, for free here in Georgia. I know it's different in different states uh, where we can swab and test. We don't have to do necropsy. Everybody always thinks that it's going to be an automatic death sentence. And for some things, it may be to save the rest of your flock to put down that one sick bird. Um, or, or maybe it dies and then you do a necropsy on that bird that's already dead. Uh, but he said many times in, in, in the treatment for here in Georgia, if you take it to the poultry lab, it uh, may be free, and it may just be a, a swab and, and test versus an automatic um, uh, uh, necropsy. So, so there's there's other avenues there. There may be a college university that specializes in ag and poultry right up the road from you, and they'd be happy, I'm sure, to talk to you and maybe do testing for you. Um, so there's more than just, oh, there's no, no vet. And then I tell folks that, it also, I think it depends a lot on how you approach your dog and cat vet. They may not have any um, experience with chickens, but things like fecal flotation tests uh, are better perform the same, just different poo on the slide. You may have to approach that vet and say, look, I know you're not a chicken vet, I get that, but I give you a lot of money to take care of my dog and cat, and you know, I want to do right for my chickens as well. Would you consider, since the same test, I'll pay you for it. It's the same procedure. If you would just check my chicken's poo if I bring you some yeah. to see if I have worms and what worms they are. You may have to approach it differently like that. And then somebody else was even talking about how, um, and in fact, I'll tell you who it was. It was the guy who was running the state, one of the state labs here this past week. He said uh, veterinarians that don't specialize in, in chickens, I mean, they don't necessarily have to have that avian certification, um, but some and some still are very good at treating chickens. And then, uh, but he's saying that a lot of vets, because of the movement and more people keeping them, or it would be one reason why these vets need to get their act together and do more bird training. But also, also, as more and more of these medications uh, get restricted from you just you know buying them 
um, at, at the farm store, and more and more are going to be used off-label use, which, like we've talked about on the show, by law should require a veterinary oversight. doesn't mean they have to give the medications, but oversight, telling you the dose and the frequency and, and the withdrawal period and things like that, um, that more and more may be uh, removed from just walking in the store and purchasing them so that those vets need to be more trained with, with poultry. He was talking about that. At, you know, And then, of course, someone in the um, chat room says, if you have a microscope, you could possibly do your own fecal flotation test. Um, East Dallas Dave said that he does his own. And um, and then maybe, uh, you know, that, that you know, so if you have that ability, I know several people have mentioned that, and maybe doing it on their own. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, great, great, interesting topic. I'm glad we got the state vet said that, you know, there needs to be put more emphasis on these vets getting bird training, even at the basic level, because of these meds that people are giving, warmers or whatever, that seem to be off-label use. They need to be familiar. They need to know dosing. They need to know if, you know, egg withdrawal time and, and things like that, even if one doesn't exist to give to these folks based on uh, an educated guess. So um, very interesting. Well, hey, we're going to wrap it up. It's a little after uh, 3. We've covered some good topics that I've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks, and both at the affair and then um, with folks posting on some forums that we've covered, some questions I've seen that have uh, been done. And so uh, uh, I think it wrapped up and that be a very good show for folks, very valuable. Uh, for all the archive listeners that, that tune in. So I'll be adding that to the show topic about the topics that we covered here, the crop bound, the sour crop, the uh, eye worm, and, and, of course, the alpox. And uh, it looks like probably for the next five Mondays we're going to be wide open with uh, doing some shows with, with uh, Peter, the chicken doctor. So we're looking forward to uh, that. So make sure you tune in on Mondays. And, Peter, we thank you for joining us uh, again today and uh, sharing your deep and vast knowledge about poultry after having 40 years in the business or more, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Yep, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, of course, Peter is a contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Uh, you can see his uh, work in uh, every issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine and founder of First State com. So uh, make sure you go to his website and check him out. If they don't have it, you don't need it. Uh, that's what we always say regarding your uh, backyard poultry health needs. Firststatevetsupply.com. If you want to talk to Peter, send him an email, chickendr, okay, for Dr. Chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com and, uh, and see what they've got. And it's always a good uh, time to have uh, Peter visiting with us every single Monday. Uh, hey, we'll be back right after this short break. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. 
In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for uh, staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Jack and Westboro. I just looked at the calendar, and don't forget, uh, no show tomorrow, but we, I think we'll return, uh, I think it's Wednesday, with um, uh, Ask the Quail Lady, uh, Alexander Douglas, uh, author and uh, all-around quail expert. And then, of course, Thursday, uh, we've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. That's going to be a really good show this Thursday. So we got some broadcasting to do this week, of course. And then uh, I just looked at the calendar, and it looks like we're only about, oh, my goodness, do I say it? Maybe only uh, two months until Christmas? 
okay, I'm only going to have you uh, suffer through about half of that one because I've got plenty of others, but but uh, no worries. Yeah, a couple of months, but um, yeah, so we'll be broadcasting uh, the next five weeks should be uh, on a regular basis, so we do appreciate you tuning in, and we appreciate Peter joining us today, and again, we broadcast uh, pretty much Monday through Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. We've been doing this for over six years, and uh, almost a thousand episodes, spreading the chicken love every way possible. So, uh, hey, thanks for joining us in the chat room, East Dallas, Dave, and Bard Rock, and Christmas Chick. We have several guests uh, also that have joined us today for the show with Peter Brown answering your chicken health questions. So, every Monday right here, we do have Peter Brown, the chicken doctor. So, uh, we hope you have an absolutely wonderful rest of the day, and we'll see you back here Wednesday for Alexandra Douglas, the quail lady. God bless everybody.